Welcome to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my interview today is with Annie Stevens. Annie was born in North Wales and moved to London with her parents when she was two. When she was 30, she met an American pilot, and that chance meeting changed her life. I was living in London, and I uh, was feeling led to go out to Africa to work for a mission, a Christian mission, and my now husband came through London on his way to Africa. He was a single guy. He was a pilot. And uh, somebody from my church introduced us to one another. And uh, so we met for five hours. I I can't tell you what happened in those five hours, but I just know that at the end of it, we were in love with one another. And so two days after we met, we didn't meet again after that five hours. But um, two days later, he left for Africa, for a country called Lesotho in southern Africa. And, um, yeah, I, I, was, I was smitten. I was in love with well, this well, American. Tell me how that happened. How does, how does one fall in love in five hours? I, I don't know. I mean, we literally met. Um, at this couple's house and we just we talked and uh, we went out to a pub a bit later on with this couple but I I don't know we we were I think we were going on a very similar course in our lives we were both 30 years old so we weren't spring chickens you know and uh, um, we both were Christians and we both felt called by God um, so we were on very similar paths. So, but I don't know what happened that night. All I know is I went home at the end of that evening and I thought, oh, my gosh, I, 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 my life was turned upside down. I lost eight pounds in the first week after he had gone. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I, I mean, I knew that I was well and truly in love. I wrote to him and um, tried to be as casual as I could, given that I wasn't eating or sleeping. <laughs> and um, and it took 10 days for that letter to get down to Lesotho in Africa. And then it took almost as long for a reply to come. So it took almost three weeks for the, a round trip. You know, there were no emails, no Skyping, no FaceTime. What, what year was that? That was 1983. Um, And so we just began writing to one another. And, of course, you know, when it takes three weeks for a letter to get there and a reply, um, you know, that's kind of slow going, as it were. But after um, just a few months, he asked for my telephone number and he called me one evening. I thought my heart would go through the floor. And um, we had conversations on the phone. Randy had um, talked to me on the phone about possibly him coming back to London so we could get together. And I said, well, um, why don't I come down to Africa? Because I could come down for a couple of months and we could kind of have a courtship, you know. So then I went and talked to one of the pastors at my church and he said, what you do need to establish before you go down there is where you see this as potentially leading 
do you see this as leading to marriage? And I said, I've only met the guy for five hours. I said, hey, you know, if he doesn't bring it up on the phone, do I have to bring it up? And he said, yeah, it does need to be said. But then if you do see it as leading to marriage, then you need to give one another permission and to get out of it if when you get together it doesn't work. So I remember the next call that came from Randy. Um, my heart was like nearly beating out of my chest and uh, I, I went through the whole conversation of saying, so where did he see this as leading? And he said, from the first night that we met one another, I've known that I want you to be my wife. And I was like a jellyfish after that. I was just kind of falling apart on the floor. Um, so anyway, I went down to Africa for about 10 weeks and w with the understanding that this could potentially lead to marriage. But if it didn't, then it was okay, you know. So after three weeks down there, he proposed to me. And uh, so I think it was seven months after we first met that we got married. And we've been married now nearly 32 years. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my interview today is with Annie Stevens. Annie is describing her experiences in Africa. So what was that like to go to Africa? I mean, had you been there before? No, I'd never been there. I traveled quite a lot in Europe, and I'd actually been to America three times, but I'd never been to Africa and n nowhere in the Southern Hemisphere. So, uh, you know, but I think m more than going to Africa was the fact that I was going there to see if this man would potentially be my husband. And if he was, then I, I in, a, in a roundabout way, God was going to have me in Africa, but as somebody's wife, rather than being there as a single missionary. So it was very exciting. I mean, love is exciting, isn't it? Was it easy for you to leave? I mean, you, you basically picked up and went to Africa. Right? Yeah, after we married, we left, I think, within a maybe a week to 10 days as a married couple, and we moved to Lesotho. So then the culture shock began. The kind of 10 weeks that I'd had there had been kind of like a fairy tale in some respects. But the arriving there as a married couple and beginning to, uh, you know, start our married life was, um, it was a little daunting. I, I went through a huge... Uh, culture shock. We the, the mission that was there had probably about seven or eight families. They were incredibly welcoming and we got involved with the church that probably had about 30 different nationalities of people, every different color you can imagine. So we got to make African friends, people from America, Canada, all over Europe, very cross-cultural. And, and I think the the amazing thing when you go to another country like that as a missionary or with the Peace Corps is that everybody has left their home, apart from the people, obviously, who live there. So you're all in the same boat. 
How many years did you spend in Lesotho? Uh, we were there just over eight years, and then we came back to America. Um, we had had two uh, boys, two sons, while we were in Lesotho. So by the time we came back to America, our eldest son, Michael, was... He was probably three, and our youngest son, David, was just about five months old. So um, we came back to America, and I think part of the reason was that we felt we wanted to be able to provide for our children later on in life, send them to college. We were kind of thinking in a much more practical sense, uh, because, you, you know, as a missionary, you don't do it because of the money. And certainly, Randy, if he had stayed here in America, he probably would have been paid, you know, five or six times what he earned out there. So we came back to America for about three years, and it was very difficult at the time. Uh, I think Pan Am had gone under, few airlines had gone under, nobody was hiring pilots. And so we started to pray about or maybe we should consider going back to Africa. And so we ended up actually going back to Africa for another eight years to Kenya. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my guest today is Annie Stevens. Annie is describing her experiences in Africa. What year was that when you when you returned? Uh, that was 1994 when we went back because I remember David had his fourth birthday on the aeroplane going out to Kenya. So, uh, you know, and Kenya was, a, a, even though it was Africa, it was a very different Africa um, in terms of the culture. Explain that. What um, Lesotho was a very small country is about the size of Maryland and um, it was totally surrounded by South Africa. I think for us some of the bigger issues had been apartheid and since it was a black African country it was almost like apartheid in reverse. It was, it, In fact, I think it taught me a very valuable lesson because it was the first time in my life as a white person, that I had been treated as though I was not welcome. And so it was, you know, in my life in London, growing up in London, we had had a lot of people come from Africa, from India, Pakistan, and I'd seen the prejudice against those people, but I'd never experienced it for myself. So I, th I think... One of the lessons I learned in Lesotho was that it doesn't matter where you come from, you want you arrive in a country wanting to be treated with kindness and being treated like a human being. Exactly. Didn't it doesn't matter what your accent is or the color of your skin, you would like to be accepted by people and you would like to be treated with the same kind of dignity that other people are treated with but I realized they it also made me realize that they had been the ones that had been mistreated by white people 
So it, I, I don't know, it, but it, for me, it, t- it helped me turn a corner. So contrast the, the, your experience in Lesotho to, to your Kenya. experience in Kenya. Um, Kenya, well, we lived in Nairobi. We lived in the capital city, actually, in both countries. But Kenya was just a big, sprawling city. Um, there wasn't the same sense of a small community that we arrived in. Uh, we And I was a mother by then. We had uh, two children. Um, so, and there there were, like any major city in the world, or especially a capital city, you had people from every continent there. Um, and not long after we arrived, um, the whole genocide in Rwanda blew up. Randy was actually flying over Rwanda when he looked down and saw the thousands of dead bodies. He could see it from his plane. And uh, I remember once since we've come back asking him if he wanted to watch the movie Hotel Rwanda, and he said, I don't need to watch it. I saw it for myself. And uh, and you could, he said you could see the thousands, probably millions of people trying to flee that country and make their way to refugee camps uh, in Tanzania, in other countries. And um, so it was a very different experience in Kenya. Um, I did do some work for an, an organization outside of our mission. Um, I was a mother. Um, one of the things that was quite a big role for me was uh, just offering hospitality to people when they came to town. Another uh, thing that I did was we got involved with an orphanage uh, that was outside of Nairobi. And there was one lady here in Glenwood Springs who would often send us $50 or $100. And she would say, Get, buy some food and take it out to the orphanage. And um, on two occasions that I went out to the orphanage, and we would take our boys with us because they would go through their toys, and I'd say, come on, find some toys, let's take some clothes out. And we would arrive with food, with toys, with clothes. And one of the things that they would do when you arrived at the orphanage was they would ask the children to sing a couple of songs to you. It was just their way of welcoming you. And I remember some of the younger children, they just couldn't even sing because they were so hungry. I mean, that's so... I mean, as a mother, as a human being, that touches you to the core to think that these children went to bed hungry last night, as so many people do in third world countries. And I think, again, that's given me a a different... I think the whole Africa experience to me has... When I turn on my faucet at night or I cook or I open my refrigerator... There are so many things here that I'm grateful for. When I stand in line at the checkout in the supermarket, 
I'm sure you've stood behind people who are saying grumbling or saying, I can't believe they don't open another line. There's three people here. I'm busy. I'm in a hurry. And I think, oh, my gosh, you, you have food. You have money. You have a car to drive. You have clothing on your back. So I think the whole of of what Africa tra- taught me is to be so grateful for just little things, for running water, for food in my refrigerator, yeah, for health. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my guest today is Annie Stevens. Annie is describing her experiences in Africa. It sounds like your African experience has changed your life forever. It has. It has. Uh, one of the things that I, I have not mentioned yet is that while we were in Kenya, almost towards the end of our eight years there, we went down to the coast of Mombasa, which is on the Indian Ocean, um, for a vacation. And um, our son, Michael, who was at that time 11 and a half, caught malaria. And um, three weeks later, he died from complications from malaria. And, um, you know, as a parent, to lose a child is, is probably the worst loss that you can ever experience. And... Despite that, I still, I think the foundation of why we were in Africa, which was A, as a response to God's calling in our life, and B, to be there to make a difference in the lives of African people, that, I think, helped undergird me in my grief. Because I knew, I still knew that that was where we were supposed to be. But the grief of losing a child was horrendous. After Michael died, we came back to America for about six weeks. We stopped in England to pick up my mother on the way over. Uh, And um, together with Randy's family, who live here in Glenwood Springs, my mother, the churches that had been a part of sending us out to Africa, we grieved it it was a hard time i can't imagine it's a it's a parent's worst fear yeah it is it is um and obviously the pain of that first year was um it's a difficult journey out of it i feel now you know 15 years down the road that uh it's taught me to celebrate life it's taught me to celebrate the life of our other son, David, who I'm so proud of him. He's a 25-year-old working here in the Valley. Um, it, it made me make some choices uh, that I think have been very positive. It also resulted in me um, self-publishing something called Memories, which is an activity that helps people grieve 
and uh, explain how that works. Okay. How, how did you use it? Um, to I help created yourself? it. Yeah, I created it for my own family. And what it was was just this little box that would sit on our uh, dining room table, and in that box there were about eighty questions, uh, and they were questions to do with. Uh, our son, Michael, um, everything from the f- the funnest of days to the most difficult of days. Um, it, they had questions about how we were coping with our loss. Um, and then it also had questions to do with Michael's legacy and how we wanted to celebrate his life as we moved into the future. And I kind of expanded on that. Um, now it happens to be 140 questions and I've tried to make it adaptable so that it could be for anybody, whether they've lost a spouse or a child or a grandparent or a friend. Uh, but for us, we used it as a family um, with the grandparents and with our son, who was nine years old at the time, and it was amazing. It was like bringing together pieces of a jigsaw puzzle because we all had experienced our son in a different way and 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 I seriously think it helped our nine-year-old son see how the adults in his life were grieving and I think he learned from it as well. If you're just joining us you're listening to the Immigrant Stories program. I'm your host Walter Gallagher and my guest today is Annie Stevens. So what was the genesis of it? I mean, how did how did it come about that you... Because usually people grieve in their own way, and, and, and even within a family, mm. they may share some thoughts but never take it as far as you did. How did right. that happen? I think um, it, it came from a very selfish need, and that was to know what my husband was thinking. Uh, Randy's a very quiet... You can imagine opposites attract so I'm the noisy one he's the more quiet reserved one and I thought how is he going to express to me how he's feeling and how is he going to express to me in a way that doesn't come across as feeling threatening and when you read a question off of a little card it's not threatening I mean it's just a card asking what are your what's your biggest regret That's one of the questions in there. Now, as a wife, if I'd have said to him, what's your biggest regret with regard to Michael? He could think, well, why is she asking me that? Should I have regrets? Whereas if it's just a little card asking you, you don't think there's any preconceived notion as to what the answer should be or why it's being asked. So it came from a longing to know how was he doing with having lost his son? And then I realized that we had a nine-year-old. How was he going to express the loss of his brother? And then we had grandparents who had been on two different continents to where we had lived for the previous four years, or eight years, actually. So I think it came from a longing to know how would I bring that all together. Yeah, and... I didn't realize it was a very simple concept, but profound. But you literally took a piece of paper and wrote a question and then answered the question. And yeah, yeah. 
I put it in, a, like we called it a game. We called it Memories of Michael. I cut up um, three by five index cards in half, wrote questions on them and put them in a little box that sat on our dining room table. And uh, David, our son, at the time he was the one, whenever we sat down, he'd go, let's play Memories of Michael. And I think he thought of it as a game, but I think it opened us up. It allowed us, if you like, it wasn't fun, but it, it had a lightheartedness to it that, allowed us to get this um, huge loss in our lives out from under the table and to make it something that was shareable and something that we could talk about. So it must have been really, really painful to, to start. It was, but it was so healing because I think there's nothing worse in grief than having it locked inside of you. Like, I think the day that Michael died, as I, as the journey of grief went on for me, I realized I was not going to let that day define who I was. It would change me forever as a mother, as a wife, as a human being. But I wasn't going to make... I wasn't going to allow that to make me better do you remember that you, you you can remember that day yeah that first day that you you resolved yeah to try to rise above this grief yeah I did I, I remember making two choices there was that I wasn't going to let it define me and I was going to and the other was that I was going to celebrate his life even though it was only 11 and a half years I was going to choose to celebrate that I would mourn that I didn't have more, but I would celebrate those short years. And the other part of that was that I chose that I would celebrate the son that we still had. I didn't want him ever, to, I didn't want our son David ever to feel as though the loss of his older brother would overshadow him. So they were very definite choices that I made. Annie Stevens, thanks so much for sharing your story. Thank you for letting me just sit down with you, Walter.